This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. It's finally tournament week in tournament town. So let's talk about the ACC regular season champs, the Virginia Cavaliers and their coach Tony Bennett who I think's quietly joined the same class as Coach K and Roy Williams in the league. Now, before you jump all over me saying that's a hot take, worthy of being and let's get crazy, it's not just because of this most recent championship, but really because of today's ACC awards. Despite not, you know, despite having the best record in the league this season, Tony Bennett got six votes for Coach of the Year. That's fourth in the voting. Welcome to the club that Kay and Roy have occupied for a while now, where Roy hasn't won the award in a decade. Kay hasn't won ACC Coach of the Year in two decades. It's become a sign of respect that if you can win in this league and not get that honor, that's telling you something about the expectations that are set for you in this league. Tony Bennett's joined the same class as Roy Williams and Coach Kay. He's dominating in this league in a really special way. Five titles now in the last eight years. Two out of the three seasons they didn't finish first, they finished second. It's a remarkable thing they've done. And when you look at it just from the context of five in an eight-year span, here are the coaches in ACC history that can say they've done that. Dean Smith, Coach K, Roy Williams. He's one of those four coaches. And Tony's doing it in an era where the ACC is loaded with Hall of Fame coaches. Loaded with, obviously you have Roy and Kay. Dean, when he was winning five out of eight against the ACC's best in the 80s, yes, Virginia had Ralph Sampson and Maryland had Lynn Bias, but Duke and Coach Kay certainly weren't what they are today or were in the 90s and 2000s back in the 80s. It was an 18-19 league, and when Roy had that level of success in the mid-2000s, there was no Jim Beheim in Syracuse in the conference, no Louisville, no Notre Dame. So in a 15-team league, to win five in eight years, I think it's more impressive. He's dominating in a special rare way plus this might be a bit of a take but this is how I feel I think in college basketball I value the regular season achievements more than March Madness I value the larger sample especially in the ACC more than I value the NCAA tournament here's what I mean I think in professional sports it's all about title count Michael Jordan fans they're always going to say Michael's the greatest because he has six and LeBron has fill in the blank. In the NFL, Tom Brady's the GOAT. Why? Because he's won seven Super Bowls. So on and so forth. This is what we do. I think in college basketball, there are some fans that only pay attention in the month of March, so that's all they're going to validate. All that matters is winning the NCAA tournament. But around here where college basketball's king, and we could talk about the sport 12 months out of the year, and that's not strange, I think I'm going to value the regular season achievements of what you do in the ACC. 
the NCAA tournament is kind of a strange measurement. In what sport do you have to win six in a row to win the national title? It'd be like, Robert, a few years ago, you remember how great Golden State was? Where Golden State with Kevin Durant added to that mix of Curry, Draymond, and Klay Thompson. They only lost, I think, four or five games the entire playoffs. Well, the first playoff game they played one of those seasons was against Portland, and they lost game one. Can you imagine if the the NBA's format was, it is a single elimination deal? Could you imagine if that's what it was? Odds are you probably, in some years, wouldn't have the best team holding the trophy at the end. The NBA playoffs, they get criticized for being too predictable. But... I think the level of predictability, while not the most entertaining product, is the best measurement for a champion. Nobody at the end of an NBA season saying, eh, I don't know if the best team won. You know that with the best of seven. College basketball's on the other end of the spectrum completely, where you got to win six in a row, and the final two you have to win is in a venue unlike any you've played your entire career likely. You're playing in a football stadium where the depth perception's crazy and different and, you know, the 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 sight lines is beyond anything else, which leads to shooting percentages going down. It's why when North Carolina beat Oregon and Gonzaga back in 2017, I don't think the Tar Heels shot over 40% in a game. But that's become the norm in college basketball. The entertainment, it's as good as it gets. It's why it's maybe the best sporting event out there. But it's not the best measurement for a champion. So I'm not going to use March as a metric to define greatness. At least, I'm not going to value it more than I do the ACC regular season. It's a larger sample, and Tony Bennett's been dominant in that structure. Plus, let's not forget, who is the defending national champs currently. It's the Virginia Cavaliers. We deify these figures, especially when they pass away and we haven't seen them for decades. I feel like LeBron's chasing a ghost in Michael, but I think of the state of North Carolina, we do that with, say, a guy like Dean Smith, who is one of the greatest college basketball coaches ever. On any Mount Rushmore, he's going to be there. But I think Tony Bennett is quietly demonstrating he might be the modern-day Dean Smith. And I mean it this way. He's coaching to a style when that's far from the norm. North Carolina's trying to get as many one-and-done players as possible now. Duke's done that the last decade. Kentucky, I could continue to go down the list. Tony Bennett is coaching to a style. He's deciding to slow things down. Dean Smith, that's what he did in the 70s. With Phil Ford, let's slow it down to the point where they had to change the rule because of the four corners and create the shot clock. That's the type of influence he has. Tony Bennett, he runs a slower pace than any of the best teams you're going to see in college basketball. While everybody's trying to run quicker and it's about getting more possessions and the analytics of such, Tony Bennett's saying, let's slow it down, even if that's not the sexy, popular thing to do. Recruit to a style, coach to a style, and let's keep kids that are going to play for a very long time. Now, it's never going to be like when Dean was coaching where guys would stick around for four years, but how many one-and-dones do you know 
that played at Virginia. DeAndre Hunter was the closest thing. He decided to stick around, then was on the title team. He went in the top five in the draft. There aren't any one-and-dones at Virginia. And Tony Bennett's taken what was already a basketball school to a completely uh, other level, to the next level. Dean Smith, he didn't create Carolina basketball. He just made it something bigger than anything else we've seen in the sport. Right? A few years before... Dean took the job, it was the unbeaten 1957 Tar Heel team with Frank McGuire and Lenny Rosenbluth. Maybe the best team in Carolina history. Go and read about that and what they had to do in the Final Four just to finish that unbeaten season. He took over a program that I think was under probation, but it was a basketball school, just like Virginia is and was a basketball school with Ralph Sampson and Terry Holland and some of the names that you can pull out in the 90s. But this is what stands out to me. How Virginia has taken it to the next level. In the first 60 years, Virginia's competed in the ACC. 1954 to 2014. Virginia has won five regular season ACC titles. In the last eight years... 2015 to 20, or I guess 2014 to 2021. Five ACC regular season titles and Virginia's first national championship. I think Tony Bennett is now in the same class as Roy and Kay, where he can do great things and win the ACC, do it quietly like this past season, not get any votes in the ACC Player of the Year mix, and that's just okay. Shifting things along. What a crazy year it's been in the ACC. While we're talking about the ACC awards, Garrison Brooks was the preseason player of the year, and he didn't get any, uh, didn't make any of the three all-ACC teams. Moses Wright, meanwhile, the actual player of the year, didn't receive any preseason votes. It's wild when you look at the voting for this. At the very top... You have a guy who was a no-stars recruit out of Inlow High School in Raleigh, followed by a Radford transfer at guard at Louisville in Carleek Jones, and Justin Champagny, who was a forward on a pit team that was under 500. This spells to me an ACC star issue. They are having an issue with talent and star, and it's not just this year. None of this year's first-team All-ACC players are going to be taken in the lottery later on this year. None of them. Joining Champagny, Carly Jones, and Moses Wright, Matthew Hurt from Duke, and Sam Hauser at Virginia, none of them are going to be taken in the top half of the first round. Maybe none of those players taken in the first round altogether, which would be the second year in a row that's happened for first-team players. But you might think, Josh, oh, that's just the freshman class. The NBA, it's now a developmental draft. They just want kids who are 18 and 19 years old. It's more an indictment on the freshman being brought in than the overall talent of the league. Okay. When I look across college basketball, I see other freshmen who have been great contributors this year. How about Jalen Suggs at Gonzaga? Uh, Cade Cunningham at 
at Oklahoma State. He's going to be the number one pick. He's winning big-time games for the Cowboys. How about Hunter Dickinson? All players I voted for the Sporting News All-America list that set the drop sometime soon. It might have already dropped at the Sporting News. No ACC players. This is the bigger thing, though. No ACC players made the Naismith Award semifinalist list last week. So this is not just about freshmen and how they project to the league. This year in college basketball, for the first time in forever, none of the top 10 players are semifinalists for uh, the Naismith Award. No ACC players. When you look at the AP poll, there's not a top 10 ACC team. First time going into conference tournament week, that's happened since 1996, according to David Teal. It's a talent issue that the ACC is having right now. It doesn't mean it's going to be this way forever, but I can't remember a time the ACC's been this down, and it's happened back-to-back seasons. Fortunately, we didn't see it manifest itself in March, where it could have been really embarrassing on the biggest stage for college basketball. We didn't have an NCAA tournament last year. But this year, it's on full display. Just how down the league is versus what we're used to seeing from this conference. Where in 2019, you had three number one overall seeds going into the tournament and star power all across the board. Anybody who grew up loving the sport and loving this league, as I did and many of you probably did, fell in love with the star powered on the court and we haven't seen it the last couple of years. Here's the good news. It could change as soon as next year. Take Duke's recruiting class. Duke always recruits great players. The last 10 years, they've had all these one-and-dones. This year, no exception to that. But Jalen Johnson, who opted out a month ago, he was not a top-10 player. Neither was DJ Stewart nor Mark Williams. They didn't have a guy ranked in the top 10 of the 24-7 recruiting rankings. Uh, I don't think North Carolina did either, even though Walker Kessler and Dayron Sharp might have been pretty close to that top 10. But next year, Duke has two of the top seven, and Pangero and Griffin coming in. Both can be great players just as long as they're insulated with some talent that returns. That's the biggest thing. Who's going to be coming back? If you didn't have this much first-round talent, hopefully many of the players, especially since this year doesn't count against your eligibility, are going to decide to return next year, and you're right back to where you were a couple years ago. Coach K was asked about this very issue, I think, last week. Where are the stars in this league? And this is what he said. I don't think that uh, that means next year it'll be that way. But I think each year can be different in all in all the conferences. You know, like, uh, you know, the Big Ten has gotten old, right, and good. And you didn't get there in one year. Uh, and so in saying that, Hunter Dickinson, who's played great, has been surrounded by veterans, you know, and that that helps showcase him where I think some of the younger talent in our league has not been, you know, ha- didn't have that that structure. It's interesting he brings up Hunter Dickinson because the Big Ten just three years ago in 2018 – was having what was seen to be one of their worst stretches. And they only got three or four teams into the NCAA tournament. Look what many of those guys who were freshmen that year look like now and what it's meant for Illinois 
who's ranked number three in the most recent AP poll. Michigan, who's ranked fourth. Yes, you got these freshmen like a Dickinson, um, like a Jalen Suggs, as I mentioned earlier. But they're insulated by a structure of experience in Gonzaga's case with Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert. Uh, in Michigan's case, they bring in Chandi Brown from Wake Forest, but they also have Livers and, and many others who are really good on that deep Wolverines team as well. That's what the ACC needs to have. You're going to recruit some good freshmen, but can you insulate them with talent, players coming back who are experienced? Eight or nine teams are going to get in from the Big Ten this year. Three years ago, they only had three or four. So while it's not quite that bad for the ACC this year as it was for the Big Ten, it is a down year, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the case next year or moving forward. You are listening to WSGS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPC in Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up. Sports Up Triad, so glad to have you along with us. Top of the hour, 5 o'clock. Make sure you're subscribed to The Best of Podcast. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham wherever you find your podcast. And the best hour of our show each day will be available on demand for you. Rate and review. Be sure to subscribe. Usually we do this at 5 o'clock, Robert, the five things at 5. It's 5.02. We're behind schedule, so let's get into it. It's time for the five things at five. All right, people, take five. Brought to you by Beamer Tire and Auto, where their five things are tires, alignments, oil changes, state inspections, and five-star online ratings. Here are the top five stories trending now. Brought to you by our friends at Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Pay them a visit right here in the Triad. Three locations, High Point, Greensboro, and Kernersville off North Main Street. That has the quick loop and car wash here. Uh, at their three locations. That's right down the street from our radio studios, too. The five things at five. They are an opportunity for us to roll through the big headlines of the day that you need to know about. If you're on your drive home and you don't know what's happened in sports today or what's set to happen tonight, we've got you taken care of, starting with... Number five. Roy and Wanda Williams have donated $3 million to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill to support multiple scholarships there. They put out this really neat video where they were interviewing Roy and Wanda. They were initially against that video coming out, but were convinced when the school said it might encourage others to donate as well. Uh, It's a massive donation here for the Williamses. And... It's not surprising either, considering Roy gave a ton last year to allow for athletes uh, who were given additional scholarships permitted by the NCAA as long as the school pays for it. Roy and Wanda Williams funded it for non-revenue generating sports at Carolina. It's something I talked about with the great Ed Harden last year when that news dropped. Why don't more coaches in the country do this? Coaches in college basketball are often, college basketball and college football, are often the highest paid employees in their state. Grossly overpaid. Support other people in your school. Support other students. Make it happen. I don't want to take the the generosity of Roy and Wanda Williams for granted, and I don't. They should be applauded for what they do. But the fact that this is made public should be assigned to all these other coaches that make a ton. You should probably be doing the same here. It's the right thing to do. Um, to give back, especially when times are so tough financially. The hottest working man in show business. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of the show. Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. 
Robert, before we get to Coach Hoover, Wake Forest women's basketball coach, how many people last night do you think watched the Oprah interview with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? In the United States, this just came out. 17 million. 17 million. I have thoughts on that. We'll get to it in a second. But we are now being joined by the head coach of the women's basketball program for Wake Forest, Jen Hoover, who's kind enough to join us. I'm sure that's not even on your radar screen getting ready, hopefully, for the NCAA tournament. Or am I wrong on that? And you found time to flip on the television, whether it be the All-Star Game, College Hoops, or the Meghan Markle interview. Well, I was guilty of watching some college hoops. Uh, I went over to Greensboro and, and watched the ACC championship game early in the day and then was watching the SEC and the Pac-12 championship and kind of found out on the Twitter, uh, my information hotline, if you will, that that interview was even going on and that I was missing out on the All-Star game. And, and Chris Paul, obviously one of my faves to follow, so... Um, I, I kind of neglected some of those activities after just being in that college basketball mode right now. She's on Twitter, at Wake Coach Jen, Jen Hoover, kind enough to be here. Where's your head at right now? I want to know what your mental space is when you see ESPN's Bracketology has you as uh, one of the last four into the NCAA tournament. We'll learn next Monday when that announcement comes officially. How comfortable, how good do you feel your name's going to be called a week from the day. Well, we feel really good that we've done, you know, we, we, we scheduled non-conference to, to make sure that we put ourselves in a position to make this happen. And in a year that our non-conferences schedules were so crazy, I think we're probably one of the only teams in the country that played two top 25 out of their conference schedule. And, you know, John Curry was very supportive of us making that trip and, you know, we were a little hesitant playing three games back to back to back to start the season because the season being pushed back. Um, but we just felt like it was something we needed to do. And, and, you know, I thought we, we've done enough to get there. I wish we weren't in the last four in. I wish it was already in, but, um, you know, we're, we're excited. We're preparing. We've got practice today. We gave them Saturday, Sunday off just to kind of get refreshed and get some legs back. And then today we'll practice, um, you know, most of this week and just prepping and, and you know, fine-tuning ourselves a little bit and, and having some fun out on the court, getting refreshed, refocused, and, and just uh, ready to go. For those who aren't paying as much attention to college basketball until the month of March, until the month of March, your team's been one of the best stories not just in ACC women's basketball, but I think in all of college basketball on the women's side when you consider that this would be, if you're able to get into the tournament the second time in Wake Forest history it were to happen, the first time being when you were a player in 1988 and a Hall of Fame-worthy player at that, Jen Hoover with us here, Wake Forest basketball coach. Is the journey of getting into the tournament more satisfying this process as a player or as a coach, with all the perspective that's added of what it takes to get there, I'm sure you have now. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's something that every kid grows up and you want to play in the in the NCAA. You want to play in March Madness. It's kind of known as March Madness. You want to wear your dancing shoes. And I think as a player, I probably took for granted what that what exactly that was. Um, and as a freshman, had the opportunity to go and, and win a first round game up at Villanova and then have to go play Tennessee at their place who ended up winning it. Um, and then as a coach to be on with some programs that were, you know, had, had long tradition of being in the tournament 
and knowing what it takes to get there, and then knowing that the, the end-all, be-all goal here at Wake Forest is to win ACC championships and get to a Final Four and win it all. You know, but knowing how hard that is, and especially to, to kind of make the breakthrough, if you will, to, to kind of become a team that they will make the talk and be on the board. And um, it's not easy. Like, it, there's, you know, it's, it's definitely a tough task, and it's one that, you know, I've embraced the challenge. Every player that's chosen to come to Wake Forest since I played here has embraced that challenge and wanted to be a part of that, that, that build and that journey, and every one of them has been. But um, I would say it, it, there's probably much more a respect for the process of exactly what all it does take and, and the amount of players and the staff and the support and just that goes into – getting your program to that to that place and and we want that to be a, a norm we want to be an, an every year team in the ncaa tournament so um it has been a, a long journey <laughs> last thing for wake women's coach jen hoover here on sports up triad uh we were talking preseason before the nba started the james borrego of the hornets and his feeling among coaches he knows and how plugged in he is that they're not going to go back to suits in the NBA. But I'm interested in where you stand on comfort attire for coaches on the sideline versus pre-pandemic former attire that we all grew up watching with basketball. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept. I think it's, you know, it's one of those we've all kind of dressed up on the sideline. I, I've got my, I've got a saying that class never goes out of style. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do have to say I've enjoyed not having to wear the the heels on the sideline and being able to be in, you know, and I actually still wore them up until the ACC tournament. And I brought out some black and gold. I think they're air force ones. I don't yeah. know. I don't get the sneaker game as much as my staff does, but you know, I, I think, <laughs> I think the game is about the players anyway. And so whatever the staffs look like is what they look like. It's, it's about what the players look like. And that's, I'm more concerned about them picking out our uniforms and them having some say on what our uniforms are going to look like year in and year out and making them feel good because if they feel good we play we play good and and I don't think if I look good I don't know if that really makes them play any better or not so (laughs) (laughs) it she's on Twitter at Wake Coach Jen it's Jen Hoover the head coach of the Wake Forest women's basketball program kind enough to join us don't sweat it coach I always learned it uh, growing up that don't sweat the things you can't control I bet it's hard when you see yourself close to getting in and wanting to get into the field but best of luck next Monday and beyond that Thank you so much. Go Deeks. You got it. We'll find out in a week whether or not the Deeks get into the NCAA tournament. Sports talk. Saluting the fellow sportsmen. If you're talking about it. I'm talking truth. We're talking about it. Who are you talking to? Sports fans everywhere. This is Radio The Drive with Josh Graham. We've got thoughts on the ACC tournament in Greensboro from Coach K and Kevin Keats that you'll hear in just a few minutes. Our resident hoopster from accsports.com, Brian Geisiger, in 15 minutes. But before we talk about the tournament set in Greensboro this week, let's talk about UNC Greensboro first, who tonight has an opportunity to clinch a berth to the NCAA tournament for the second time under Wes Miller. I think this is the most important game Wes has coached at UNCG. I really do. They got Mercer, 7 o'clock, ESPN. 
And the reason why I think this is bigger than the first time they went to the NCAA tournament and they were a one seed in 2018 getting to this point, expectations are a lot greater today than they were three years ago. More people know about UNCG. More people know about Wes Miller. And the accolades have followed this team. When you talk about players of the year and all-conference lists and Wes being named by ESPN, the top coach under 40 in America, they have greater expectations today than they did a few years ago. They're the superior team tonight. They met Mercer twice in the regular season, killed them once. It was a close game the second time. But Mercer's the seventh seed in the SoCon tournament. It's not like... They're facing East Tennessee State like they did a few times in the championship game when uh, Steve Forbes was there, or facing Mike Young's Wofford team, Mike Young being named the ACC Coach of the Year today. Mercer's a seven seed that they've beaten twice already, and this is Wes's best UNCG team. Isaiah Miller, he's a pro, man. Gosh. Number two on the uh, Sports Center top ten list last night, uh, had a alley-oop dunk. Before that, he went the complete length of the floor, and had a two-hand flush. This is a really experienced team. This is a really strong team. And on the other side, I really feel like UNCG is superior to the Mercer Bears. It's games like this, I believe, shape public perception. You're on ESPN. You're on the biggest stage. It's a championship game. If you win, well, it affirms all the national attention you received, the accolades. Hey, you're the the top coach under the age of 40. You're going to be up for every big job there is, not just here in the Southeast, but across the country. If you're on that list as a young guy, as an up-and-comer with ties like Wes does to Roy Williams in the North Carolina program and having success in a league that's produced a couple of ACC coaches the last few years with Forbes and Mike Young, who again just won the ACC Coach of the Year, and is the number three seed in the tournament. If you lose, though, well, you couple that with the Chattanooga loss last year, which was a bad one. I remember watching it. And it's only going to be one NCAA tournament in a decade for Wes. The last five years is when UNCG's been relevant. Wes had to build it up to that point. But this is the third time UNCG has the best record in the SOCON, you don't want it to be one NCAA tournament appearance in three years when that's the case. This is an opportunity that's a really strong one for West. Don't let it slip away. Tonight's the most important game of West Miller's coaching career. I really do believe that. Let's talk to UNCG superfan uh, Mark in Greensboro, who's now on the line, before we get to Brian Geisinger. Where's your head at for tonight, Mark? Dude, I'm so nervous. I feel like I'm about to play. Uh, I felt like that yesterday, too, because I knew that was going to be the toughest game uh, just because East Tennessee State's athleticism. Oh, but yeah. I'll tell you right now, and I know not a lot of people know this about Mercer, but this is a really tough team. The first game that they played them and beat them by 20, they were without Jose Alvarado, who's their point guard. They got a really good stretch four in Felipe Hase. But you're right, UNCG should win tonight. But it won't surprise me if this is a very close game because Mercer's got wins over Georgia Tech. Um, they beat Georgia State. They're a good, they're a good club. They w- they went through some stretches where they're not very good. Uh, if they shoot, if UNCG shoots the way they shot against East Tennessee State, it's a wrap. I've been saying that all year. When that team shoots well from three, 
40%. They've shot 50% yesterday. They played too good a defense for them not to win games. So I'm excited. I'm hoping that my guys, Wes, Chris Lepore, Andre Gray, that whole staff gets this win and gets to the tournament, man. I'm, I'm super excited. I'm right so there hopefully. with you. Hey, say it with me. Let's go G. That's tonight. Oh, yeah, man. Let's go G. 7 o'clock ESPN. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Mark. We're on the UNCG train tonight and on the Elon train as well after their big win yesterday, one of the biggest in their program's history, beating top-seeded JMU. They're in the semifinal of the uh, CAA. Haven't played Hofstra yet this year, so there's some unknown in that. And since they also had some COVID issues all throughout their conference season, they didn't play against Northeastern or Drexel either. That's on the other side of the CAA. So I think Elon does have a chance just because of the uncertainty of it all. App State, they have the opportunity tonight too. Clinch their first tourney berth in 21 years. It's going to be on ESPN2 as UNCG's on ESPN. What's that thing about North Carolina being the hoop state? I think there's a lot of truth to that. Robert, who do you want to hear from first, Coach K or Kevin Keats? Uh, let me get K, I guess. Okay, so Coach K, after the loss to North Carolina on Saturday, I asked him about the challenge of Greensboro, the challenge of starting on Tuesday, considering this is a place where a lot of memorable moments in Duke history has happened. And this is what Kay had to say to that. Greensboro is a very special place for me and our program. And, uh, you know, and, and for college basketball. Yeah. Uh, you know, the ACC tournaments, the, that's the, that's the one. That's the one that got it all started. And uh, so to do well in it, to win it, we've won it a number of times. Uh, it, it's been an honor to do it there. You know, I think in order to win, you can't look at the tournament as a whole. You just have to play your next opponent. I think Duke has won the ACC tournament in Greensboro five, six times. Most of their ACC championship wins have been in the Greensboro Coliseum, so it would be something magical if they're able to do it, but he's absolutely right. If you try to look at it as we need to win five in a row, that's going to be overbearing and overwhelming, especially without Jalen Johnson and having to tighten up that rotation. So it's all about Boston College, and if you beat Boston College, you got Louisville, who beat Duke twice in the regular season. Not to knock this off the rails, but listen to the beginning of this clip. Doesn't it sound like Coach K had to do a book report on the AC tournament at Greensboro and then didn't read the book? <laughs> Greensboro is a very special place for me and our program. And uh you know, and and for college basketball. Yeah, uh you know, the ACC tournaments, the that's the that's the one. Yeah. Did, did you read the book, Coach K? Like, did you do your homework, dude? It sounds like this is coming from somebody who's had to BS his way through some of these homework assignments. Uh, yeah, the ACC tournament means uh, a lot to the so, ACC. So and, what you're saying, uh, I don't know about you, growing up in the state of North Carolina, did you have the TV cart rolling? Oh, yeah. Oh, the TV yeah. cart rolling? Not in high school, though. It was done by high school. In middle school, I think we watched every ACC tournament game. But in high school, it did not happen. No, nah, I had it both in middle school and high school. Had the TV cart rolling. It sounds like during tournament week, you might actually have to do a book report on the ACC. That's how big it is around here. Robert's the guy who's walking in saying, um, yeah, Greensboro is great. 
and it's the tournament super important very important we we love it i thought you were going to ask which book reports i cheated on well do you remember oh yeah siddhartha i didn't read that book <laughs> i didn't care about the caste system of I india thought you were or anything say- Catcher in the Rye, but knowing you, you probably loved Catcher I, in the I Rye. I did love. I loved Catcher in the Rye. I loved Hatchet. I loved all those small boys. Uh, Lord of the Flies, anything like that. Because Duke lost to North Carolina Saturday, NC State gets a bye. They're going to play on Wednesday, and Kevin Keats says that this is a really big deal for them and their chances of advancing far in the tournament. Playing on Tuesday would have made things even more difficult than it is. Because we, you know, we're playing seven guys, and every now and then I'm sprinkling an eighth guy in, and you know, just that day is important. No matter what the situation, you know, people say, "Man, play on the first day and then get it out of the way." Uh, I don't agree with that. You know, if you can get any type of buy, I think it helps, and I'm proud of our guys for putting us in that situation. NC State has Syracuse, who they've lost to twice in the regular season. So here's the question I have for Brian Geisinger who's going to join us in a bit. When you look at the teams playing on Wednesday, Clemson, North Carolina, Georgia, actually Georgia Tech got the double bye, so I take that back, Louisville, Syracuse, NC State. Those five teams. Who has a good path to get to championship Saturday, let's say, out of those five teams? State, Syracuse, Louisville, North Carolina, Clemson. I, I want to pitch that to BG. Also, I'll try to out-precise the guys when he joins us next on The Drive. Warning. The following program may be dangerous to your health. Please consult a physician before listening. Nancy Boy. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. That's why I like North Carolina to win this game, and I don't think it's going to be a really close game. Duke was never in this game. North Carolina took him out of it from the very beginning. An impressive win for North Carolina as Garrison Brooks and company enjoy their senior night. Meanwhile, Duke on the road this year is 3-5, and five, and the only wins they got at Notre Dame, at Wake Forest, at NC State. And there's Sterling Manley, a redshirt junior. And now he's got a block at the other end, and good for him. 12 of the last 14 years, at least one game in the series was decided by double digits. I think this is the game that happened. It's quite an exclamation point for North Carolina on an emphatic win. When you say dominant tap to buzzer, it applies in this one. Nailed that one on Saturday. Robert, how many calls did you get from nervous North Carolina fans on Friday that I was jinxing the Tar Heels somehow a week after I said they beat Florida State? Uh, I think all of them. Our phone lines were just lighting up. As soon as you picked North Carolina, they were very scared. Yeah, and not only North Carolina going to win, North Carolina is going to win big, which is exactly what happened. And I also think it's fitting you play that now, right before we're about to chat with Brian Geisinger, because he's a lot smarter than I am and it's probably going to make me look foolish at the end of this when we do out-precise the guys. BG now joining us, our resident hoops nerd from accsports.com that you can find on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. All right, let's start with the ACC Player of the Year and the awards that came out today. I probably would have put 
Jay Huff first team over Sam Hauser. Uh, I had no issue with Moses Wright winning it. Um, I didn't have any issues, large ones, with any of the awards today. Did you? Uh, nothing too bad, honestly. Uh, a couple small things here and there. Like, I don't think Caleb Love was one of the five best freshmen in the ACC, and I think I could have probably found five more deserving freshmen to put above him. Would you put Kerwin Walton? Roster. Would you put Kerwin Walton on his own team over Caleb? Yes, yes. Kerwin Walton had had. I mean, he's asked to do different stuff. You know, like. Caleb Love has to handle the ball, and, and that's hard. But, yeah, like, Kerwin Walton had, like, saved UNC season with his three-point shooting. Like, full stop. That that happened this year. Um, I also would not have had Prentice Hub, third-team All-ACC. That, to me, felt like a lot of people just looking at, oh, points and assists per game and then picking somebody from Notre Dame or whatever. Like, Prentice Hub wasn't the best player on Notre Dame this year either. That was Nate Lazuski, who, like – like everyone got lost in the shuffle, but after Matt Hurt, after Sam Hauser, uh, Dan Lazuski was the third, like the third best shooter in the ACC this year. He yeah. finished top five nationally in true shooting percentage and effective shooting. And like, yet his inefficient point guard teammate got a, on the third team above him and a lot of other deserving players. Um, so I don't know. No, no, but like, that's a smaller gripe, right? Like uh, that's not a, that's not a big deal. And I thought all the other awards were mostly fine. I had Jay Huff player of the year. I think if you're going based off some of the deeper metrics, some of the catch-all impact numbers, he was absolutely the best player in the year in, in the conference this season. Um, but Wright was, you know, Wright was in that next tier. So I, it's, it's fine that he was the, you know, he certainly got hot over the last month and, was absolutely like a top three player in the league. So him winning that award is is also fine too. I think the margins were really tight between player, you know, player, the best player in the league and the, maybe the, the seventh or eighth best player in the league. Like it, two more weeks of games and you could have shook those up and ordered them differently, you know? Yeah, I, I had no issue with Moses winning after watching him in person on Friday. And that's why I wanted the reserve judgment on – his growing popularity for the award until I watched him play. And then what I saw was, wow, this is not Olivier Saar getting hot down the stretch at Wake. This looks a lot more on paper and in person like we saw uh, at, with Tim Duncan, at early Tim Duncan before he became the polished product that was the number one pick in 1997. I was really impressed with what I saw watching him up close as he beat Wake Forest, uh, helped uh, the Yellow Jackets beat Wake Forest on Friday night. But let's pull out our ACC tournament bracket now and look at what's ahead because I do feel like this is a year where I, I could see a team playing on Wednesday winning this tournament. I, I could see that happening because of how small the margins have been between the top of the league and that next tier that's probably six, seven, eight teams deep. When you look at the paths for those middle five teams, I'm talking about uh, Clemson, North Carolina, Louisville, NC State, and Syracuse. Whose path do you like to make a deep run starting on Wednesday? Um, I mean, probably UNC just because of the talent. And it's, uh, you know, the games are in Greensboro too. Uh, Louisville is one of those interesting teams. I've certainly said this a couple times on your show this season, but 
because of David Johnson and Carly Jones. Um, and David Johnson had like a, a tough finish to the season statistically and Louisville, the back half of their year was just weird because of COVID and injuries, but like, that's still an incredible backcourt. And I still maintain it's the best backcourt um, in the ACC, but yeah, I just think UNC with like, with they have the most talent of this group and I love Amir Sims and I've been driving the Amir Sims is a great player train for, uh, two seasons now. He's he's a unique player as far as how he, how much offense he controls for Clemson. He's really their primary playmaker at the small ball center position. But I just think UNC like Walton shooting uh, enough playmaking from from Leaky Black, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, and then just you know Walker Kessler's playing pretty well at the end of the season. Brooks, Baycott, and Dayron Sharp, who's you know a, a first round pick. There we go. Had to just make sure we got that in there. But no, I mean, I would say UNC because, you know, home court, Greensboro tradition, and also they just have the most talent. So that's what I'll, I'll roll with that. Even though, you know, Clemson has a team that can space you out and shoot threes and play through mere Sims. That's like, that's tough to match up with too. Before we get to out precise the guys, since you bring up Armando Baycott, it only seems fitting that we talk about the heels a bit. And specifically about some of the bigs that have decisions to make after the season ends, because I think two weeks ago when I was talking to a lot of Carolina fans, the feeling was De'Ron Sharp's going to go because he's the best prospect they have for draft uh, in terms of draft prospects when you look at big boards and things of that nature. But Garrison Brooks is going to stay because Garrison probably not going to be a draft pick. After watching Saturday... And also covering Dayron and Eastern North Carolina, South Central High School, where I understood how big of a fan his family, uh, his parents are of North Carolina basketball, how much it meant to him to get the offer from Roy and to go to Carolina. I feel like today there's a better shot that Dayron returns to school than Garrison Brooks. It felt like Garrison was saying goodbye to the Smith Center because he's had all the experiences at Carolina of being a number one seed in the tournament and playing multiple years and playing big-time ball, and he sees his role diminishing a little bit as these guys who are more talented than he is, and he's smart enough to realize that, take more of his minutes compared to the minutes he was playing last year alongside Cole Anthony. De'Ron Sharp, meanwhile, he didn't really get that experience, and I think we've seen it, whether it be DeAndre Hunter or some other guys who are big staying another year, you could still be a lottery pick and be coming out as a sophomore, I think Sharp, there's a good chance his stock could improve based on where it is now uh, to uh, with one more year in Chapel Hill, and there's a better chance he returns than Garrison. How do you view it? Yeah, I mean, well, the, we'll just have this, like, in general, like, even if you're, if, like, we pan out for just one second, because uh, you're talking about Brooks coming back for a, a suit, you know, what would be, like, a super senior year because of this essentially – free year of eligibility with yeah. the, because of COVID like it's gonna be fascinating to see in general how that how that plays out like who's going to come back what programs are more accommodating for that how the just transfer portal plays into that like it's that's going to be a, a totally new phenomenon and it's really going to cause uh, it, the the roster turnover in the offseason in college basketball is already like and, and I, I, I'm here for it. Like, I, I want players to be able to have mobility and move around and, and do what they want. But just, like, 
you know, you could, in theory, like have your name in the transfer portal, have your name in the draft, and then just also come back to the school where you just got done playing your fourth season, you know? <laughs> like, Coach K called it the Wild Wild West last week. Yeah, Unprobed, he's just like, get ready for the Wild Wild West this summer. It's, it's unlike anything we've seen. It's going to be crazy. Now, to Sharp, like, look, I, I think Sharp is probably, I have him somewhere around, he'll probably end up somewhere around, you know, top 20, top 25 prospects for me. I mean, I think he's like a lock to be, a first round pick. I think I'm higher than most on him or maybe sort of average. Some people sort of like Dayron as, as late lottery. So it just depends. Like, look, I think there's a chance that if you get into workouts, Dayron Sharp's going to like wild teams and workouts because look at that guy, his size, his motor, how he moves, his playmaking at that size. Like, I just think he's going to really, really do well during workouts. If he goes through the, the draft process and test the waters and all that stuff. Um, you know, look, I think for all of these guys, it's great if they want to come back, the doors should always be open, but it depends, it just sort of depends on what your end game is. And if it's to play in the NBA, then like, you know, Dayron Sharp, it's an, it's another, you know, you get on your rookie contract a year earlier, there's less injury risk, especially because like right now you're guaranteed to get that first round, you know, the first round, be a first round pick and get that guaranteed, essentially guaranteed four year contract. Garrison Brooks, like he, you know, he's not going to get drafted. So what does he want to do? Does he want to go to the G league? Does he want to play abroad? Does he want to try to get a two-way deal with an NBA team? Maybe he can do that because like, you know, he's a decent defender and he's 6'10 and he's got some skills, but at the end of the day, he's a center that doesn't really protect the rim nor shoot threes. So like, I, it's hard to figure out what he is other than just like a very solid and competent uh, college player. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't agree with you necessarily, but uh, I it, I could see it going either way. But I might imagine my assumption is that Sharp is is headed to the NBA, but that's just me speculating. We'll see. Uh, look forward to watching that. He's on Twitter at bguys underscore bird. Follow his coverage for the ACC tournament this week starting tomorrow. Of course, with we uh, we got Duke in action and Wake Forest in action tomorrow. So a lot to follow. Robert Walsh, I'm going to pass along the steering wheel to you as we try or I try, to outprecise the guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham, uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots, and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to outprecise the guys. All-Star Game was this weekend, and that's where, we're gonna, uh, that's where our topic of discussion is going to be for Out Precise the guys today. I don't know if you guys checked it out last night, but Steph Curry and Damian Lillard were going bonkers with some of their shots, both shooting 50%, but that's not what I'm going to ask you about. I'm going to ask you how many three-point shots were taken in the All-Star Game last night. Oh, goodness. I did not watch the game. I did not watch the Oprah interview either. I was watching Rocky with my girlfriend who had not seen it before. That's what I was doing. I'm, I assume you watched the game, BG. Uh, I caught a little bit of it. I was actually finishing up my own personal All-ACC uh, honors and year-end awards, which people should go read about at accsports.com. That took a lot, a lot of time and research went into that. So uh, it was on in the background. But I was not really, like, intently watching the All-Star game, no. So neither one of you guys get the advantage of watching to have a better guess about how many three-pointers were taken. Okay. (laughs) I've I've got a guess. 
Guys but, has oh, to guys go before has to you. Go first. Yeah. I'm so stupid. I actually wrote down a movie score for Rocky, <laughs> thinking we were playing the movie game for a second. But I'm gonna go with the same score I had for Rocky as my guess for the three pointer. All right, I bet whatever that is, it's gonna be too low because teams in the NBA, just like in normal games, will routinely shoot uh, attempt 53s in the game. So I'm gonna go above that. I'm gonna say 150 three pointers attempted in a game that had over 300 combined points last night. Yeah, it's a lot higher than what I had. I had 77 yeah. written down. Yeah, I knew as soon as you said, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with the same thing. It's I was like, low. well, <laughs> even if you pick 100, let's hope that guys <laughs> yeah. is on it. Uh, 133 three-points last night. That's a lot of shots. That's going a in. lot of threes. I'm glad I didn't threes. watch. <laughs> and speaking of all-star stats, LeBron, he leads the all-star game in career three-point attempts, which kind of oh. surprised me with 116. But he also leads in career points in All-Star games. How many points has LeBron scored in All-Star games? Come on. All right. So this one's not easy, but my here's here was my math. This was the this is the the 17th All-Star game of LeBron's career, correct? Yeah, that's right. And so I'm just going to say as a baseline 20 points per game. Uh so I'll say 340 career all-star game points for LeBron. That's very loose math, but that's what that's how we're going to roll it out and go with I it. I actually had 370 written down. I love that he can just pull these written out. I got to see your math. Let me see that thing you wrote down. I have 370. Oh, it's I got 370 I written down right here. All you right. know what? The first time, I think, ever, Josh, you are closer. LeBron yeah. has scored 385. Right. Whoa! I have a chance to win this damned game for once. We'll, we'll see uh, how you do it after this question. Chris Paul only leads the All-Star game in one career statistic, and that is assists per game. He doesn't lead in career assists for the All-Star game because he trails Magic Johnson. How many more assists does he need in the All-Star game to catch Magic Johnson? Okay, I, I got my calculator out here. Give me a second. Yeah, I got. I think I got this one, by the way, because I think I saw a tweet about this. Oh, so we're talking. We're talking about. We're talking about total assists, right? Correct. So total how many assists? But so he, how many does he need to pass Magic Johnson? I I, I have to tie Magic Johnson. To tie so, Magic so, so Johnson. To reach Magic uh, Johnson. To tie Magic Johnson, he needs negative one assists in the All Star game. Great. This doesn't look good now. I got 48 <laughs> assists. He needs 48 more assists. <laughs> Even with his, maybe I maybe I looked up the wrong stat. I've got that he needs 15. That he all needs right. Well, I was closer either way. You I were think still I thought closer. He had... I thought. Point God. Maybe That's maybe right. I, I looked up the wrong thing. But that my my, I don't know. I was on baseball t or basketball statistics. If I was on baseball, statistics, I was about to say you would definitely know that it was wrong. Either way. Guys yeah. is closer with the negative one than Josh is with, uh, what'd you say, 44? <laughs> I said 48. 48. Guys is closer. It's actually 15. But uh, maybe All they right. didn't put in the points for last night, which would make this whole game wrong, which is also fun. But guys, <laughs> appreciate you flexing that big brain for us. Uh, he takes the win at the end. All right. That's what I like to hear, baby. Getting it done. All-star game style. <laughs> BG, enjoy the ACC tournament this week and... I'm going to tell you something we haven't been able to say, and I mean, knock on wood, two years. The next time we'll be chatting, we will have 
an NCAA tournament bracket to fill out. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh my God. How many do you fill out? How many NCAA tournament brackets? Honestly, just one, me usually too. one or two maximum. I don't know. It creates like more stress for me than it should. So I just like stay away from it, yeah, honestly, and I, just watch all the games. I do one bracket too. I told myself pre-pandemic, actually I said this, and this was like, we, we did like a weird segment. We, we do weird segments, uh, segments sometimes. And, and, and a segment we did was sports. Um, what, what's the thing you do? Oh, New Year's resolutions. We had sports mm-hmm. New Year's resolutions. So this is for 2020. And I said, I'm not going to fill out a bracket. I'm not going to fill out a bracket. It turns out I met that resolution pretty easily a year ago because there are friends of mine who say, you know, I haven't filled out a tournament bracket in years and I, inter- I enjoy the tournament more. Kind of like I-, I stopped playing fantasy football and I find yeah. I enjoy watching football more. But since Same we here. didn't since we didn't have the tournament last year, there's a zero percent chance I'm not gonna fill out a bracket this year. <laughs> oh, Godspeed then. Yeah. Hey, we'll talk next week. Thanks, BG. Sounds good. He's on Twitter at B guys underscore bird.